this morning. Yeah, we're just going to Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly really Podcast. We pray series. that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning God in. Has got a seeing beyond the generation. He cares about this generation, but he is looking to a hundred years from now. He is looking with expectancy, believing that his, uh, that Jesus will be ready, you know, to come back for his church. And so today is really about posturing ourselves, our lives, our children, and thinking a little bit more beyond just our, you know, just just Monday, okay? You're like, let's, let's think about what could it be like for our children in another 30-odd years. Um, Deb and I, when we were first married, uh, we, we built a house not long after we were first married. And Deb's amazing, by the way. And, and, uh, and at, the, at that time, I was wor- working in Christchurch as, a, uh, as an artist. I had a really awesome job, and I was doing a bit of voluntary youth uh, work here. And um, we were just kind of newly married, settled, settling into life. And then not long after that, um, probably about three years, this is our fearless can go out now. Yes, sweet. I see that hand. Yeah. Not long after that, um, and this was probably about 2002, 2003, grandma and granddad moved back from the deep south. I'd been down there for a few years. And this is Bruce and Nolene, um, who have sadly recently passed away in the last kind of three or four years, I guess now. Um, and and so they moved um, just a street over from us. And it was a very short, just a couple of minute walk around to their house. Actually, that was uh, them in, that was the day after we were married, actually. That was the, the our wedding car, like I sped off with. Yeah, and Granddad, like he loved speed. And so he'd be like, speed. And so... They were going to take off somewhere else, maybe. But anyway, they, um, they moved closer to us. And um, we started having babies. Abby came along, and the twins came along. And, and much to, to Grandma's delight, she was just all about babies. And uh, I used to call Granddad my local hire center. I'd just go over to Granddad's shed, and I could find anything I'd need for whatever I was working on as well. And it was so awesome having them close. Our kids loved Grandma and Granddad. Um, well, our, we, they, it was just grandma and granddad, really, even though they were great grandparents to, to our children. And um, I, I remember once, I think the twins were about two, and they, uh, we, we lost them. We didn't know where they were. We looked right through the house. And uh, inevitably, we, we went and checked with grandma and granddad, and they'd crossed two roads, and one had a nappy on and one didn't. And they were around there probably having some of grandma's soup, which they always loved to go. And, and uh, so we... Our, our family grew, and, and in this, we were like, gosh, we need to get another home. We needed to like, just get them re- real practical here. We've got a three-bedroom home, and we ended up with four children. We started dreaming about what um, this home could be. And at the same time, we had this real sense that God was saying, stay close to Grandma and Granddad. Stay in their world. Be, be present with them. And um, so we, we looked at house plans, and we were going to extend something, and we thought we'd just honor the company, like the, the closeness that we had with them and, and the love that we had for them. So we thought, we'll stay in this house and we'll try and extend it. And, we, and um, for a couple of years, we looked at doing this and nothing just seemed to work. And it just seemed like God was just saying, just kind of be patient um, uh, in this process. And we're like, Duh, but you know, you're always, we'd been at this house for about 
uh, 11 years, I think, at this stage as well, or 10 or 11 years. And then, and then we ended up having number five being on the way. And we're like, what? This is getting crazy. What are we going to do? We're going to need to get a bigger house, definitely. And, and Deb and I had always talked about, what if one day we ended up getting a property with grandma and granddad? And, um, but at the same time, we thought, well, I'm never going to ask them that because that just could be awkward and it could look like we're trying to take advantage of them. And I, I don't know, just kind of like family dynamic. I just thought that might be just a little bit too weird. But we thought if they approached us and said, how about we do this? Then we'd be like, maybe that's a God thing, you know? And I remember one day uh, just driving past uh, their house, leaving. I was leaving home and I just felt like the Holy Spirit just say, go and have a cup of tea with them. And so, uh, and I didn't do that that often, really. I did from time to time, but I went around and had a cup of tea. And um, on the table, there's a newspaper with a cutout of a house, uh, a big property in Woodend it was, and there was a second dwelling on the house. And they said, hey, have you ever thought about us living together in the same property so we could be close and, and just kind of like, yeah. And I was like, well, yes, so it, yeah, we have actually. So we went and checked out this property and it, it just wasn't kind of the right fit. Uh, it just wasn't right. And um, so we thought, well, we'll just see what happens. What, what's God doing? And, and um, then granddad found this other property and um, he was real keen about it. And Deb went and saw it and she was like, no, that's awful. Uh, I went around and saw it and I was like, no, that is so old. That's awful. Granddad was just like persistent. He was like, the dirt here is amazing. The dirt is incredible, gardener. It's just like, oh, the dirt. And, and so I ended up going back there, and it just felt like God's smile was on it. Just it was this this time went by. I was like, I actually think there's something in this. And long story short, we we purchased the property together, and they were able to build a secondary dwelling on it. And we spent their, uh, they spent their final years with us, or at least grandma anyway. Granddad had a year or so in a rest home. And it just became this thing that God was doing intergenerationally that was a blessing for them, and it was a blessing for us and for our grandchildren. And it was just a good thing to be involved with. At times it was awkward and like, what's happening? But it was just a good thing to be involved with. Do you know, there, is, there are things in life that can only happen when the generations come together. There are things in God's heart that can only happen when the generations come together and honour one another and agree with one another. And, and we have a dream that our ceiling as, as parents would become our children's floor, that they would stand on the inheritance that we'd laid. Not only like financially it would be nice if we had something to give them, but even more so than that, that they would actually step into the graces and gifts that are, have been that we've been entrusted with, that we can that they can build on from that. Now it was really cool. Uh, last Sunday night we had Daz here. Daz didn't know who our kids was, and he goes over and prophesies preaching over Abby as, as a preacher, and then over Tristan he's like prophesying that he's going to be a pastor. And I'm like, there's something generational going on there. There's something that's been recognized that is flowing through our family line. And, and it was just a really cool moment for us to, to look at. Now, turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, or check this out on the, the screen behind us. It says this, it says, So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. 
Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. <laughs> Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Isn't that awesome? God's got a long range view for your legacy and your family. He's dreaming about what your children and grandchildren are going to be stepping into. There's some powerful verbs in this, uh, in this Scripture. It says, commit yourself wholeheartedly to these words of mine. There's nothing passive or relaxing or necessarily restful even around the posture that God is calling us to take. There's an urgency that He's actually calling us to take and impart to the next generation when it comes to His Word. It says to tie, to literally tie commandments. And that's what they used to do. They used to hang the Word of God off their wrists. They used to hang the commandments off their wrists, tie them to their foreheads, get, get a picture of what God's saying on your mind that your children would know what He's speaking over their lives. It says to graffiti your house with spray bomb, like spray paint your house with the Word of God. It says to write on the doorposts, to write on the places where we're going in and out of our homes as a reminder of what God is speaking and declaring over our children. There's something here that God wants to say to our hearts today, I believe, as a church around legacy and around generation, because it says, so that, so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. And I'm excited that it's not all about me with my children. I'm going to get it wrong. I make mistakes. Yet all I'm doing as a parent is actually coming into this legacy that God has got established for my generation and the generations to flow from us. So you could be a, a parent here today and feeling like, man, you might feel guilty. And I don't want you to feel like that. I just want you to see the opportunities that God has given to you today to move on with in your, in your expression of releasing, releasing legacy to the next generation. The, the Bible connected with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word and the Spirit is, is designed to, to create this progressive culture in our lives for our family. Not a stagnant culture, but a progressive culture. The Bible talks about people going from glory to glory to glory. He doesn't say it's just a a flat line, it's actually, there's opportunity for building across the generations and it just requires our obedience to connect to this kind of progressive culture, heaven on earth environment that He's calling us into. The, you know, the, the gospel seldom materializes without human intent. It requires us to partner 
with His Word. It requires us to partner with His Spirit. It's, it's, the, the gospel needs us so it can manifest. We need to commission with the gospel in our families. You know, as, as parents, maybe as teachers, as uh, business people, as employees, as students, no matter where you sit on that spectrum, we are actually instructed as disciples, as followers of Jesus, to be guardians of the sacred biblical value system that is in the Word of God. That's why it says, like, there's this urgency. I, I, I urge you to guard these words. I urge you to treasure these words, but not only to, to guard, but to transfer this word to the next generation. This is the vision and the values that God holds in His heart to see His kingdom established on earth. And He's like, that's transferable, people, but we've got to hold it dear to our hearts before we can actually transfer it. You know, let's just clear this up. If you had sex and made a baby, you're a leader. You're leading the next generation. You've got a voice into the next generation. But you don't have to have biological children to have spiritual babies. You don't, don't think that if you're not married here today that you can't actually create spiritual babies, you know. Our youth legacy that we celebrate here today, is, it's a thing because God has imparted His DNA through our lives as youth pastors into those lives around it. His DNA flowing, spirit and truth, the seed of the Word of God flowing into the lives around us. I just need a drink of water, thanks, babe. Take a moment. You can watch me drink. It's very exciting. Mm. <laughs> you know, we're, le- we're living our Jesus story in full view of this family and our families. And how we value our resources, our time, our talent, and our treasure is in full view of the next generation. And if we are followers of Jesus, then it is our honor to pass his word on to the next generation, to pass his spirit on to the next generation, to pass legacy on to the next generation. You know, as a church, um, and we're talking as a staff team, as a governance team, we want to do everything that we can to create an environment on a Sunday that your children, that every generation would love to come to and be a part of. We, if, if you have children struggling with coming to church, we want to know about it. We want to plug every gap and do everything. We want to fight with you to see the salvation of your children realized in your life. We don't want to be passive about this. We don't want anyone to feel like they're overlooked. If, like, seriously, if you're struggling getting your children to church, talk to us about it. Because there is a war going on for your kids' salvation and their souls. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to abort the seed 
of His Word in our children's lives. It's just, it's not, we can't be passive. We're actually, we're, we're, we're proactive about this. We are super proactive about creating an environment for our children. And straight up, we, we don't believe that we should model to our children that church is just another option to be attended every once in a while on a Sunday. Ooh. <laughs> it's, I'm, you know, I know that's a bit of a heavy levy right there. But we don't believe it. We don't believe, we, we think that if church is just another option, then when do the options stop in life? When, do, when, is, when is another idea just a better idea? Because there's a gateway of options and opportunities for our children. There's an absolute gateway out there for undiscerning children to actually see something and think, wow, there's an opportunity for freedom and significance that would actually maybe even be more fun than Sunday, going to church on a Sunday. But as parents, we actually need to be vigilant, guarding our children's faith and the inheritance that Jesus Christ died for, for them. Because, you know, I, I think of it a little bit like this. And, you know, we can have a... If you've got a... This, this is an hourly point for you. Come and talk to me. But, you know, if church is an option, in my reference, it's just like, well, dating a non-Christian's just an option. It's just like, well, maybe sex before marriage is just an option. Sleeping around, it's just an option. And I'm saying, you know, if we, if we stand for nothing, we can fall for anything. That's just kind of how... It is. Because holiness and the freedoms of Christ can be so easily sacrificed on the altar of options. Just, it's just, there's so much going on out there in the world that can just distract us away as disciples of Jesus. And I'm using that word disciples because he's calling us to be hot, not cold or lukewarm. And to be a disciple is to be hot in his presence, to be pursuing his truth for our lives in the region that we're called to live in. And so without, you know, back to this church thing, without, wor- without the Word of God, without worship, without fellowship with other believers, our faith and the message of the gospel, it just becomes diluted and powerless and impotent. It can't be transferred unless it is actually on fire in our hearts. It's not, we, we don't have something that is undesirable. If you, if you think you're a, a follower of Jesus, and you want to apologize for that, then stop it. Like who you are and what you have is more powerful than anyone who doesn't have Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings and He is the Lord of Lords. And He is calling us to be connected with this kind of power. That's why it says, so commit your heart wholeheartedly to these words as my so that you'll live, so the generations will go beyond. And our world is where it is. Family violence in this community is where it is. There's the most family violence in this community than there is anywhere in New Zealand. And it is where it is today because the kingdom of God has been com- compromised on the order of options. And you may be here today and your kids aren't 
walking with God. And maybe you've looked at them make some bad decisions and you've tried your best. And I, there's no way that I want to put a guilt trip on anyone today. You know, we all make bad decisions and our kids, and we're all responsible for our own decisions as well. But today, as a church, this is about us standing together and agreeing for turnaround moments in their lives. Maybe you have an unsaved husband here today. Turnaround moment, Jesus. Do it, Jesus. Do it for those ones who need to know how valuable they are and who need that perspective of God's goodness in their lives. And Jesus Christ, is, He is the God of the second chance. He, we can always hit the restart button with Him. Let me share you some good news. <laughs> King Hezekiah, I love King Hezekiah. He was a reformer. He'd had grown up with some bad stuff happening in the nation of Israel. And he was the 13th successor of King David as the king of Judah in Jerusalem. He lived about 300 years after David, but he was a reformer king. He had seen this corruption and this dilution of the gospel and of the kingdom and of the sacred laws and texts. And, and and he'd seen this generation become blinded and distracted from truth. So Hezekiah came along and he got all these things. He even got things that were treasured, like the snake that was lifted up in the desert that, you know, that the, the Israelites needed to look to to receive healing, I think, from leprosy. He got that sacred stuff. He got idols. He got the, everything that was a distraction and he smashed the lot. He broke it up and he's like, this nation is going to hit restart and start again. And, and as Hezekiah is struggling with what to do in this season, he's made some really big stands and he's just wrestling with this weight of leadership. He reached out to the prophet Isaiah. Get this. He reached out to him and he asked Isaiah for a God word. He's like, will this remnant of Judah survive? That was his question. Will they survive? And Isaiah sent this word back to Hezekiah. And there's a big, long scripture. I'm just going to give you one verse from it. And it says this in 2 Kings 19, 34. It says, I will defend this city. This is God speaking through Isaiah. I will defend this city and rescue it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Now get, this is, this is the wow for me in this. God said, for the sake of David's name, for David's reputation, his vision and values and his legacy, that God would treat this city and these people not as they deserved, but as David deserved. Isn't that incredible? There's something here that that was an opportunity for this nation to reconnect with their inheritance because God was honoring the king that had laid a foundation for what kingdom values need to be on it. For the sake of his reputation, his vision and values, it's just awesome. So David's personal victories in his life, the things that he fought for, and we know that David's life was far from perfect. He was a murderer at times. He committed adultery, but he was a man after God's heart. And so this nation could reconnect with their inheritance and their legacy and the victories that David won. I wonder 
who, what our great, great, great grandparents were doing. I wonder whose great grandparents were pastors and leaders or mighty businessmen, people who stood for the Word of God, people who had big dreams and saw freedom for their legacy. You know, you are those grandchildren. God has an amazing inheritance for you to step into. And even if your great-grandparents were, they were pirates, slash the Diaths, uh, that may be a true story. Jesus Christ is the second Adam, and your new legacy starts in Him. Today my message is called, How Big Is Your Ask? <laughs> See, I, I feel like there's some malnourished asks in here. I believe as a church and as parents, we need to have some big asks. Put some big demands on the king. Put some big expectation on everything that he is promising us in his word. He said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the doors will be open. I want to just quickly look at some really big asks in the Bible here. We're going to start with the Lord's Prayer on earth as in heaven. I mean, that is a, like, wow. Like, incredible what's happening in, in heaven right now. Paved with gold, worshipful environment, no sickness or disease, prosperity, abundance, on earth as in heaven. That's a big ask. Jesus said, Ask for that. The prayer of Jabez. Here's another big ask. Jabez cried out to God of Israel. And his name, Jabez, it meant painful birth. He had a painful start to life. And he said, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge in my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. This man went from a painful birth, a struggle for life, and said, that is not going to be my inheritance. That will not be the legacy I relieve of pain. And he, he had a big ask. Come on. Jabez was someone with a big ask. Nehemiah <laughs> chapter 1, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. And then it jumped down to verse 11. See, that's a that's a big way to start a prayer meeting with Jesus is to be real about where you're at and where your family's at. And then it says, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it uh, into his heart to be kind to me. See, this man, this one man went with a big ask to his king, but he went first to his God because he became a gateway for that nation to be restored once again for the walls of security to be built around that city and he because he carried a big ask in his heart. King David is an old man, and this is my one that I have um, prayed many times as a youth pastor and continue to do. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. See, God is waiting for us to carry a big ask to Him. He wants to give us 
a generational blessing. Let's just go serious for a moment. I'm going to go to the book of James, all right? You guys all right? I'm doing a lot of talking today. That's what I do on Sunday, 9 and 11. Anyway, uh, James 4 says this from 2 and 3. When you ask, you do not receive. I'm sorry, everyone. This is the Bible, not Glenn. You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you have on your own pleasures. Let's just forget about that for a moment because I know that takes a wee bit to digest. Let's just think about the tuning fork. When pianos lose, or guitars even, they lose their tune, they fall out of key. For centuries, the only way to actually tell if an instrument was in tune was with a tuning fork. And tuning forks are guaranteed to like 100% pitch accuracy. Uh, accuracy, And you can still find a 300-year-old tuning fork that will emit a note just as clear and as crisp the day that it was made. God is inviting us to tune the motivations of our heart in with the same sound and frequency that He is generating in heaven. That's what He's calling us to do. He wants us to resonate at the same frequency as Him. But you know, if our perspective of heaven's reality is actually out of tune with what heaven is actually like, with what heaven is actually waiting to be released into our lives, the Father is just simply unable to give that to us. He's calling us to have this motivation that is in sync with heaven's motivation. And it doesn't mean to say that you have to be a perfect person to start that journey. It just means that you have to be willing to go on that journey with Him. And prayers are answered when there is the right motivation, when there is synergy between heaven and and earth. It's, and, and just on that, it says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. And I just want to say that pleasures are not bad. Like, don't, I don't want you to feel like man, Glenn's saying here that pleasure is a bad thing. Pleasures and blessings, they're all a part of the rewards of this experience of our journey with Jesus Christ. You read Song of Songs and you'll see that God is down with pleasure. But when pleasure becomes our primary target, we become unhinged from our purpose. And that is the essence of what having the right motivation is about, being connected with heaven's purpose in our lives. God will not be ignoring you, but he may be ignoring your prayers, I'm sorry. <laughs> because he's waiting for you to get the right motivation with him. So, this morning, we're going to finish with, it's, a, it's a, a posture of surrender again, people. It's this place of going, God, I want to connect, I want to connect my family again with generational blessing. And today, I just so hope that no one's feeling guilty 
about your family or about the way you've parented or about where your kids are at. That is not my heart for this. But God is so passionate about legacy and about His kingdom being extended through the generations. And I believe it's a day to go from having a wishbone mentality. I wish this would happen. I wish that would happen to connecting with His heart and whatever is resonating for you to carry for your family and the generations to come beyond you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media 